Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. We're starting a new series. I'm very, very excited about this one. Uh, it's called Unhurry, Unhurried. And let me tell you this. If I die prematurely, like, you know, down the road, and uh, years later, you guys, hey, remember Christian? <laughs> and you go, you know, let's listen to something you said before. Uh, I would, like, oh man, yeah, he died early. Uh, young, so young, so sad. I feel a little nostalgic. And, uh, and, and you want to, like, watch something I've said? I want you to watch this series, okay? Um, because it's going to help you the most, okay? And, uh, and the reason I t- I'm, I'm so excited about this is because this is something we're going to talk about for su- six weeks, and it can change your life if you pay attention. Uh, we're talking about unhurried. We're going to ha- do four weeks on rest, break, on Sabbathing, on, on relaxing, and two weeks on work, on how to orient your, your job, your work, your vocation to the purpose. God. As a matter of fact, for the very first week of the, of the two on work, I'm praying and I'm hoping to bring in a guest speaker. His name is Steve Garber, and he is the father of vocational theology. Like, he's one of the foundational guys. He's like the big daddy of, vocation, of, of work theology. So if we're lucky enough to get him, he's going to speak on the first one of the two work ones. Um, and Unhurried is like, you know, the, the title of the first message which is today, is unhurry your life. Now, that's unhurry your life is not a word. I made it into a verb. Uh, so I made up this word. And the reason, I wanted, uh, the reason I'm going to sort of lay the foundation with this one is I want to convince you that you, most likely than not, need to unhurry your life right now. Like start thinking about it. Figure out what, what you, that, how desperate you are in need of this, right? Um, now, to give you a little bit of a backdrop for me, I love to work, right? I have several jobs. I have too many things on my plate all the time, so I have to make an ex- a concerted effort to stop doing more stuff, right? Um, I, love my, I love working in general, right? It's just awesome, right? I love achieving, I love creating, I love new, doing new projects, I get bored very easily, right? And then, so it's sort of normal for me to overwork, and about in the years around 2009-ish, I was hitting my 40-year my mark, so, uh, which is sort of a, a time of recalibration for most people, like the midlife crisis stuff, uh, where you start going, okay, I've lived like close to half of my life, uh, and how do, I, how do I live the second half, right? That's sort of the normal thing of, of midlife crisis. And one of the things that I focused on, I was trying to deconstruct my game with God, right? I was going, okay, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Continue the why, why, why until I hit sort of the ultimate why, and um, and how do I shift the the rhythms of my life, the the whys of my life, into something that will give me the best possible shot of having a having a great second half of life. 
And one of the things, one of the disciplines that I stumbled upon was the Sabbath. And until then, I thought the Sabbath was almost like a, you know, old-timey Jewish thing, right? That you read in the whole Old Testament doesn't really apply to the New Testament, to new modern realities, all of that stuff. And, and I, what I've stumbled upon is that it's, it's, a, it's a treasure. And it took me years to, to practice this. So I started introducing it into my life. It was really horrible at, at first. But it, it changed and transformed me and changed it. And it became almost like a core spiritual discipline that I've been practicing for 12, 13, 14 years, something along those lines. So, um, the thing that really clashes against Sabbathing and rest, especially in, uh, in ge- just in general, but especially in Western culture, is that we desire a lot of things, right? And human desire, by, it's interesting, by design, it's infinite, if you believe in a creator. Because you are designed to spend eternity with God. So your desires don't end. Have you ever noticed that if you have something that you crave, a lot, you know, dream, it could be material, spiritual, achievement, etc., anything, anything of that sort, when you get it, it becomes old fairly quickly. Have you noticed that? Right? That you want more, something different. Your desires are infinite by design. That's what it means. Now, um, so human beings, since the beginning of time, have been trying to figure out what to do with that. Because we sort of intuitively understand that it's, it's something that plagues us, like this, this insatiability of human beings. And, and different phil- philosophies and schools of thought have dealt with it differently. For example, if you start exploring Buddhism, right, Eastern philosophies, the way it deals with desire is that it detaches you from desire. It teaches you how to be separate from desire, right? Uh, so to empty yourself. If you go to consumerism, which is actually a, a religion, we'll talk about it in a second, it, it teaches you to embrace desire, right? But if you talk about Christianity, it teaches you how to redeem desire, how to put it in the right place, in the right perspective. And Jesus teaches us to put your desires with God, align your desires with God. And all of the other desires are subordinate. Now, they're not bad desires necessarily, right? But they're subordinate to to God's desires for your life. That's essentially the teaching of Jesus. Now, I'm going to read to you uh, from Matthew 6:33. Now, this is in the in the NIV translation. This is something that many of us know. It's almost like an axiomatic script, uh, uh, scripture that is fantastic as a mantra. I, I say it to myself and to others all the time: Seek the kingdom first. Have you heard that? Seek the kingdom first, and all other things will be given to you. Seek the kingdom first. Now, I wanted to give you sort of the paraphrased version of it because it adds some nuance and some color to what we're talking about here. Here's what it says: Steep your life. In God reality, God initiative, God provisions, don't worry about missing out. You'll find all of your everyday life, everyday human concerns will be met. Let me repeat that to you. Let me, let me, tell, let me ask you this. Take a breath in. Take a breath out. If you have a phone out, put your phone down. Just for a second. Maybe for 30 minutes. <laughs> right? 
If you're thinking about your shopping list, the things that make you anxious, the client that makes you mad, the boss that makes you angry, the baby that makes you anxious. For a pause that for a second. And read this with me word for word together, okay? Let's read it together. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all of your everyday human concerns will be met. Does that feel better just right away? Yes, it does. There's a quote from, from uh, this guy, his name is St. Augustine, and he was an early thinker, Christian thinker, and he was, uh, he was profoundly influential in Western culture. You might not even know why. Like, you know how sometimes you think certain ways, you have patterns of thinking, and it's because a thinker like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or 500 years ago said something and it influenced a bunch of people who influenced a bunch of people, and now you think a certain way and you don't even know where it started. One of those people who, West, who actually shaped Western culture is St. Augustine. And cool, the cool thing is that he was North African. He was an African dark-skinned guy. He was a Berber in origin. And here's what he says. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So what he's communicating is that we are designed to desire God. And all of our other desires, essentially... And it's very rude if you ask enough, why and why and why and why do I desire this and why do I... Are because we desire God, because we were made for Him, right? We have this inner knowledge. You can be an atheist, but you still have this inner knowledge of Genesis 1 and the Garden of Eden and how you were designed to walk with God in harmony. You have this inner knowledge that you were made, created for a beautiful life, alignment with God, provision from God, right? Walking with God. And what happens is we don't live in Eden. And that's what, why the story of Eden can be, if you really think about it deeply enough, you'll realize that there's so many things about them that, are, that sound sort of mythological and not real that are actually true when you de- think about them deeply enough. So the Bible teaches that we live in a post-Eden world in a fallen world. And although at some, depth, at some inner depth of your soul, you understand how you were made to be, you still crave these things that are not aligned with Eden, just like Adam and Eve did. Right? And what you do in a post-Eden world, which you, don't, which you gravitate towards, in a, in a post, opposed to your harmony with God, is not atheism. What it is actually is idolatry. So if you don't worship God, you worship something else, right? And hurry, as a worldview, as a lifestyle, is an idolatrous lifestyle. And it's a chronic cycle, just like everything, everything else that is idolatrous, right? You have this frustration. Do you feel frustrated on Monday morning? You know? Or angst? Or anger? Like you're behind already? Like the weeks haven't, haven't even started and you're behind? Have you felt that? That's that low-grade anxiety stuff. You know, you have this, you can, you can have anger that you haven't achieved, you haven't caught up. And then what happens is out of that springs action. And this action is hurry. 
overload, overwork, careerism, materialism. I want more, I want this, I want that. Even, even achievement is, is, is an idolatry. I want, I want my PhD, I want my promotion, right? I want to get to the next level on the economic ladder. I want to get there. And what that causes is more restlessness, and more anxiety, and more anger, and more resentment. And that's the cycle. And that's the cycle. That, on top of that, that is fueled and amplified and stimulated by an industry that knows this is how we operate, right? There are people with, you know, high, you know, lab coats designing how to monetize your desires. That's advertising. Advertising is monetizing desires. That's the art of it, right? There's a quote I think that Elias brought up a few, maybe a couple of months ago, from when the consumerism culture was shifting and people were actually, just like people can shape culture for the good, like St. Augustine, there are people who are designing what you're experiencing now and an epidemic of mental health issues associated with social media and some of those things, right? Here's what it says. In 1927, Paul Mazur, who was an investment banker in Lehman Brothers, he said this, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained, think about this, People must be trained to desire, to want new things. Even before the old have been entirely consumed, we must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. That is a strategic statement, a mission statement of people who designed, who influenced and impacted this society, our culture. Powerful people. That's what they wanted. And we fall for it over and over and over again, right? You know how much we spend per capita adjusted for inflation every year in America compared to 1945? Can you, can you give me a guess how much we spend more? Obviously, we spend more. How much do we spend more than per capita in 1945 uh, adjusted for inflation? No, but per capita, per, it's like two times, three times more. Okay, 10 times. That's the good answer. Brandon knows it, right? 10 times more. 10! Does that blow your mind? 10 times. Compared to 1944, not in Africa, not in Vietnam, not in the Philippines, in America. Compared to an American in 1945, we spent 10 times more. It's just remarkable, right? And part, part of it has to do with that the economic development has, has raised across the board, a lot of boats across the board, right? Millions of people got out of poverty, you know? And for me, it's really interesting to have this sort of dual perspective of being an American now for many years, right? But I grew up in the third world, right? So I grew up in, in, on three different continents, and I've seen poverty, uh, I've been in poverty, you know, like I know what food rations are and look like, you know, I lived through that. I lived through, you know, you know sleeping in the kitchen in a pull-out chair. Um, for, a, for a time being, we, 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 um, I spent seven years in Africa, in one of the poorest countries in the world, and, and it was fantastic, actually, you know? And the reason for that is because it's not, that, it's not what we want that matters, it's what we need. And we actually don't need much to be happy. 
So my youth, my, my childhood in Africa was fantastic. And we had food rations and all kinds of things. I, I was, I've sort of told these stories here and there. But uh, just a, a while ago, I was talking, I think I was telling some stories to my kids or to my wife. And I, rem- I, it caught, I caught myself going, there was a period there, like of seven years, where the economy was so bad in the country that I grew up with. And I'm like, all the clothes that I got, I think it was hand-me-downs, and, or my, my dad would go on a business trip and just bring me some clothes. But I don't remember, I don't remember ever buying clothes. I don't remember seeing a store. And the books, I, I, I read a lot of books, and my, they had a fair like once a year, and my mom would buy like a massive box of books. But I don't remember ever buying a book in a store. I don't remember seeing a store, a bookstore. Like, and I had all these questions, right? And I'm like, that can't be. And like, of course, I'm living in America right now, right? So I'm going, this, that's, there's no way. This is probably just, a, you know, a lot of, you know, it's just, va- my memory has faded. So I called my dad up, and I'm like, Dad, can you answer this question? You know, clothes, books, things like that, and, you know, all those questions. I said, I don't remember buying stuff like that. And, my, and I'm like, Dad, so did, can you, like, refresh my memory? Because you were grown up, right? He goes, no, no, we didn't have those stores. And to me, it was like this reverse culture shock, right? <laughs> and the reason I tell you these stories is because that's just the reality for most of human history, for most of human beings. The level of prosperity that we have right now in America is just the blink of an eye and is a small portion of, of human beings. And actually, as a matter of fact, so many people have been lifted out of poverty in the last 20 years. It's just unprecedented in history. And I love that. Prosperity is a fantastic thing. Comfort is a fantastic thing. That's not the point. The point is, how do you channel the blessings of that? So it doesn't start diminishing your life, actually just enhances your life, right? Does that resonate with you? So how do you, you know, start asking yourself this. Has this anxiety, this angst, this hurry, this busyness, this sort of dissatisfied sense of being unsettled, has has that become normal to you? Has that, be, has, has that become such a reality to you that it's, you don't, it's like fish in the water doesn't know they're, they're wet, you know? Does that resonate with you? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you restless? I bring you good news from Jesus. The gospel. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight 28 to 29 response to that. And again, I'm reading from the paraphrase. Here's what Jesus says. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real test. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. That is an invitation to you, to me, right? Walk, walking with God, aligning yourselves with the way of Jesus, is rooted in a state of rest. That is the normal in Jesus' way. And see, most of us, we don't know how to rest. We don't rest until we have to until we just can't go anymore, right? We don't rest well. We confuse rest with entertainment. That's not rest. 
right? And we rest to manage life, not to overflow with life. You see the difference, the fundamental difference between those two things, right? And the truth is that without rest, we cannot live the life Jesus has to offer. And I would venture to say that the majority of us in the church do not know how to rest because we haven't pursued it as a spiritual discipline, because we haven't realized that we're in, in disharmony with God, that we, we feel this stuff, and it's such a hard thing because you start living this intellectually aligned life with Jesus, your ideas aligned, you like Jesus, you're, you're, you share Jesus, you come to church every week. And yet that state of restful, restfulness, it eludes you. And somewhere inside of you, you start thinking, what is wrong with me? Why is it? Where is that peace that surpasses understanding that I hear about for 20 years? And I don't have that peace. Am I broken? Am I unspiritual? And the thing is, you're not broken. And you're not unspiritual, but you haven't learned the way of rest. And that's why I say, if I die tomorrow and you feel like listening to a sermon many years later, listen to this one because it's gonna always help you. You know, 80% of healthy relationships can be fixed, like relationships that can be achieved through healthy relationships can be fixed if you're just not reactive, right? And the fascinating thing about that verse is that right after this verse, there's two stories in a row that are about the Sabbath. You, you can read them at home. That's not, a, that's not coincidence, right? So what is this? Okay, so let's talk about the Sabbath a little bit more. So let's go into the practicals. Are you ready? Okay. So Shabbat is the sort of the word. Shabbat is the, is the, is, is the Jewish word. And it simply means stop. Right? Shabbat. Now, I have another uh, term that I just discovered recently that is awesome as well, and I'll teach it to you. Okay. Can you say, uh, dolce far niente, that's Italian. Can you say it with me? Dolce far niente. Doesn't it sound good? Dolce far niente. You know what it means? It means the sweetness of doing nothing. Dolce far niente. Now, this term is an Italian term, and it has nothing to do with the Sabbath at all, but I want to redeem it for Jesus Christ because it's a perfect term to describe the Sabbath. All right? Dolce far niente. Uh, you know, and you know, you, you know what if, what's, what's fascinating about this deep desire? That's also a deep desire. That's the Eden desire of resting, of walking with God, of being in this idyllic, harmonious place. The, the Sabbath is a preview of heaven. And it's a remembrance of Eden. And the, reason, and, and the reason why I know that that is true of you and I is because a lot of the advertising pulls on the strings of rest. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed like so many advertisings where there's a couple walking down the beach, right? Or Matthew McConaughey is very peacefully riding that Cadillac, you know? <laughs> or Chrysler, I remember what it was. But sort of the, the smoothness of McConaughey's cadence, is all about the chill, you know? All right, all right, all right. And, 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 uh, and you see, you know, beautiful homes, and you see candles, and you see smiling faces, 
you know, people in a robe and things like that. It appeals to the rest, you know. And if you want that rest, we'll sell you the Caribbean paradise trip, you know. And the truth of the matter is, how much of that do you actually need to rest? It, it pulls on the strings of desire, but how much of that do you really need to actually rest? And it's nothing. All you need is you and God, right? Because the Sabbath predates advertising, it predates the church, it predates Jesus, it predates Israel. It goes all the way back to Genesis. That's where, it, that's where it's gifted to us, in the very beginning, in the spark of creation, right? But the funny thing about the Sabbath and Christianity is that it's been largely forgotten by the church, by the Christian church. And uh, there's a wonderful book, I'll tell you at the end, that you can see the sort of the journey of the, the culture of Sabbath, how it went all over the world and from Jewish faith to Christian faith and it was sort of extinguished, etc. And But the bottom line is this, we love God desperately, and to align with God as Christians, but we do not know how to abide in God. We just don't know how to do that. There's a scripture in Hebrews 9, uh, 4, 9 to 11, I'll read to you in a second. Um... Oh, this is, this is a really good quote. True restfulness, though, is a form of awareness, a way of being. Okay. Pick up your mind. Oh, this one, yeah. Oh, this is Christian. That's the next one. Okay. Um, they just they, they switched my slide so that this is the next slide. I'm reading it as if it was the, the current slide. Anyway. Uh, but Hebrews 4, here's what it says. There remains then a Sabbath rest for people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did for, from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And it's referring to the Old Testament, to people not going into the promised land. That's what he's referring to. So the reason why you don't see a lot of preachers or a lot of teachers mentioning Hebrew, Hebrews in like Sunday services outside of like in-depth lectures is because Hebrews is super layered, right? It's, it's meant for a Jewish audience, much more sophisticated. So it's like rabbi talk, multi-layered Jedi stuff, right? So in, if you re read Hebrews 4, you'll see a lot of layers in this in this beautiful language of restfulness, of Sabbath keeping, because it means not just the day, not just the day, but it's also the day. But it's about the principle, but it's about aligning, but it's about the Old Testament, it's about the Exodus and all those things. But really the core here, you can, you can see the rhythm here that you have to enter God's rest because God, even God rests from his work, right? And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, so let me ask you this. What describes your life right now, right? Is it an anxious life? Is it this, man, I'm stretched too thin. I'm sort of lost, I'm stuck a little bit, you know? I, gr I wake up, do you wake up anxious? Do you wake up and after like the first few seconds you go, <gasps> you know? You have that sense of what's gonna happen tomorrow? Or what's gonna happen today? Am I behind? Or does your life describe like something along the lines of, you know what, I am so aligned, I'm so joyful, I'm so overflowing with generosity and ideas and things that I can do for others. You know, if there's one word that can describe about my life, that describes my life, it, it would be margin. 
Like, do you have, is that, is that what you're oozing? You know, is that what you're exuding, right? Um, and here's, here's the quote that I want to show you. Ronald uh, Rollheiser says, true restfulness, though, is a form of awareness, a way of being in life. It is living ordinary life with a sense of ease, gratitude, appreciation, peace, and prayer. We are restful when ordinary life is enough. Wouldn't you want that? Right? See, the people who live the Sabbath, they live all the other days differently. This is also a quote by Walter Brugman. So here's, what, here's the practical stuff. Pick a day, any day. Um, you can pick the traditional Jewish way is to start the Sabbath on Friday at sunset, and it goes until sunset on Saturday, right? You can do that. Um, you can pick the Lord's, the Lord's Day, right? Uh, the Lord's Day su- Sunday, which was what, what Christianity shifted to down the road, it's sa- Sunday becomes basically the Sabbath. So you, let's say it starts on Saturday night and ends on sa- Sunday night. Uh, if that doesn't work for you, you can pick a sort of a midweek Sabbath, right? It could be a Monday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, depending on your schedule, whatever. Um, you can even start with half a day, you know? If you can't handle a full day of relaxation, maybe start, start with half a day. It's okay. Just start, start somewhere and start working your way up and into sort of a, a, deeper, a deeper experience of the Sabbath, and, and here's what I'm going to do. On the next, over the next six weeks, I'm going to lobby hard for you to adopt this as a spiritual discipline. Right? Lobby hard. I'm going to push you. Um, now, you don't have to do it. You know, and I'll tell you in a little bit why. It's, it's totally fine if you don't. But I'm going to lobby hard because it changed my life. And I think it's there for a reason. Right? So what I want to do is sort of to introduce you, if this is a, f- a new thing for you, to introduce you sort of some best practices. If you look at the Sabbath literature, which there's a lot of, I'm going to pick, put books on the screen and online for you to check out if you want to really go deep and study this stuff out. Here are some of the best practices of the Sabbath. Um, the lighting of candles, right? You light a candle in the beginning of the Sabbath, and you say special prayers and blessings. Feasting, right? You eat whatever you want. You don't keep a diet anymore, right? Um, you don't do keto, you know? I do a lot of keto. I do low-carb and stuff like that. You don't do keto. You sort of rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus, of dieting. Okay? You just just move it. Yes, you know? You read scriptures. You be poetry or liturgy, you immerse yourself in the words and the beauty of God's word. Love making is a Sabbath practice. Now I got some, some of you guys' attention. Maybe that was the thing I should have brought up in the beginning. Right? You know, honey, it's the Lord's will. Like if you're single, you have something to look forward to. It's a spiritual practice. Love making, right? You actually get, uh, in, in rabbinic literature, you get some special uh, rabbi points if you make love on the Sabbath with your spouse. Not just with anybody, just saying. Uh, um, walking, napping, right? Take a nap, take a long nap. Time with family, time alone. Gratitude, remembering the things that you're grateful for. You know, we, in, in the Flores family, the, the, the Sabbath looks like this. On Friday night, I do the sort of the Friday night to Saturday night Sabbath. And the reason I did that is because originally for a long, for a long time, it was a Monday thing. And what I've noticed is, what I noticed is that by the time I'm, I come to church and I'm 
here to, to speak and to teach, um, I felt like it was, I was spent by that time. So I switched it to Saturday because I wanted the congregation that I serve to, take, to get the best of me, to get me rested, to get me full of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I switched it to Saturday. So on Friday night, what, I, what we do is we sit down, Deb and I, sometimes the kids join, and we light a candle and we say a blessing. And, it, and I can't tell you that after he practices for a while, after it changes, like the energy in the room changes, the your inside changes, that sometimes I find myself lighting a candle and I have tears in my eyes. That's how strongly it changes you. And there's so much literature about the Sabbath, the Sabbath spirit that gets ushered in that moment. And you switch from a place of producing, achieving, attaching value, your value, where your value is attached to the work you do or how much you get done to a moment where your value is only attached, that you are God's daughter or God's son. And he delights in you. And he provides in you. And he provides all of it for you. And you spend a whole day completely immersed in this reality that I have to do nothing to gain worth. And all I, can, I, get, I get is love and affirmation and provision. And that's how it starts. So then we, we, the dieting stops. We have some wine. We eat. We feast. I go for walks. We, we, we read. We sleep in. You know, we roll out of bed whenever. The, the, the phones are turned off. You know, my, my partners, my clients, the, the sort of my business stuff that I do, they know they can try all they want to send me emails and Slack messages with requests, and, 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 and I will not read them. I will not read their requests. And they know, at the time, after, after a while, they get trained. That, look, if they value my, my work and my presence, don't bother me on the Sabbath. It's not going to happen. Right? And, I, and, and, and we go on walks, and I read stuff that, you know, I'm very much, like, I really like working, actually, you know? And it's, that's not a bad thing. Work is from God. We'll talk about this later, Right? So I read a lot of like nonfiction stuff, self-help stuff, or business, or marketing stuff. Read a lot of books like that. And on a Sabbath, I do not read any of that stuff. I read like completely useless literature. You know, just for the sake of, of this is awesome, this is fun, right? Um, I listen to a lot of music. I listen to stuff that I haven't heard. Like I read, I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I read a book and I'm like, let's just read that for the sake of reading it. Right? All of that stuff. And the day just is beautiful and has a, a pace. And, and after a while, after it is established, you start fantasizing about the Sabbath. And you go, hey, Deb, can we do that for the Sabbath? You know? And, and it's just a beautiful thing. And then at the end of the day, we light another candle and we say another prayer. And we return to life, sort of in the world, engaged in service. But we return fully charged, overflowing 
with energy and creativity and joy. We're giddy. We can't wait to engage with the world. That's the Sabbath for us, right? Now, here's, I want, you, I want to tell you this. Elias asked me, say, hey, Elias actually said, you know, people have like really funky relationships with Sabbaths and you know, come from all kinds of different places. That's absolutely true. So if you, if you some, somewhere down the road, like a, a long time ago or in your youth in Christianity, it was like, okay, Sabbath is an Old Testament thing. Look, just study it out. Just study it out. This is an invitation only, right? It's not this, we're shifting the, the, the Christian culture to this and we're going to be Sabbatarians now, right? That's, just, that's not the point. The point is this is a practice that Jesus practiced, that the apostles practiced. And nowhere does it say that it's this thing that it's no longer good for you. Now, it does say that this is not the law, and that's true. But it's good for you, right? It's an invitation. Like, let me give you a sort of a delineation between commands and like, you know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, right, that are still valid. Um, that's, those are commands, right? So if you commit adultery in the church, we'll talk to you. you know, well, your el we're elders, our elders will talk to you. We'll talk to you, because that's a command. This human flourishing, maturity, is an invitation. No one will talk to you if you don't Sabbath. As a matter of fact, we know that, we, you know, I've been leading tribe for a long time, and I know the majority of you don't Sabbath. I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying it's a cool thing. Maybe you'll like it, right? right? So look into your, into your 2021. But let me, as I said, I'm going to lobby hard on this one, right? Look into your 2021. How is your soul? Has it expanded? Has you, have you grown? And if not, why? Like if there's any year, two years that have thrust humanity into, into deep contemplation about the meaning of life, it's 20 and 21, in 2021, right? Like if you didn't choose some, some growth patterns and, and, and practices in 20 and 21, you know, you have made the, life will make that decision for you. But let me ask you, is, has your soul grown, expanded? Are you more peaceful? Are you more rooted after these two years that are trying, right? So it's not a command, but it is a discipline, which basically means that, that it actually, you know, paradoxically, it takes effort, right, to rest. It really does, right? Uh, are you, are you um, if you're not aware, there's, there's a thing called the J-curve. I'll show you the graph. So this is the J-curve. So you start something new. You start like original, you start here. Let's say you start the Sabbath right here, and you do the first one, and you're like, man, I can't believe I haven't done it. You know, it's amazing. I should have done this years ago and stuff like that, and you're here. But then you do it next week, and it gets worse. It's harder to do. And it gets worse, and it gets And then you hit like rock bottom, and you go, I don't, this is, this is not causing me rest. This is causing me anxiety. You know, and what you're doing is you're experiencing the J-curve. That's every, everything new that you start, that's how it does. Like you go to the gym after a long, long break. The first one, you're like pumped, right? And then you're hurting, and then you miss two because your muscles hurt too much. And it's like terrible. 
So you have to per you have to sort of just keep doing it until you go to the original performance level and then you go up, right? So in, in my, I remember the first time I, I read about the Sabbath, I read this one book, and I read, actually, by the way, one of my Sabbath practices, I read something about the Sabbath. So I have like a collection of books that I reread, then every once in a while I, I add another book and stuff like that, right? So, but I can, this is my, I'm, I'm a very f sort of hardworking guy. I love, I'm a driven guy. And the, probably the second or third, there were some Sabbaths that you go, you literally, con I, for the, for sure, experience withdrawal, like a drug addict. Withdrawal from work, withdrawal from pushing things along, performing, finishing a project. Withdrawal like, that makes you miserable. And that's when it hit me that I'm, an, I'm idolatrous. This is an idol of mine. Achievement is an idol of mine. You know, and it could, be, it could be cocaine or it could be work. It's the same thing. You, would, you, you, you kick out the idol and you want to not deal with it and the idol won't let go of you. So what I want to encourage you to do is to try, is, is to ease into the Sabbath, but be aware that it's not, it's not, going, to be, it's not going to be good. It takes years. It took me three years to fully grasp the Sabbath, to get into, into a groove. And also doesn't stay with you, it slips, right? So if you feel like, you know, feel miserable a little bit, don't give up. That's my encouragement to you. Because if you, to say yes to the Sabbath, you have to say no to other things. If you invest in the Sabbath, you have to divest from other things. You can't have it both ways, right? And then there's this trickery in your mind. Okay, so is mowing the lawn a Sabbath thing to do. And that's why the, uh, the, in Jewish culture you have these endless interpretations of what constitutes a Sabbath and it gets ridiculous, you can't push a button, you know, that kind of thing, right? Uh, but that's, it's, you know, that's the thing. So you, when you start it, start it, pick a day, first of all, pick a day. Second, even start with six, you know, you know 12 hours or something, you know, like half a day. And you go, okay, I'm gonna do for, I'm gonna go six hours or eight hours, just Figure it out, right? And then, and then do it. And what's gonna happen to you is that you're gonna probably have one good experience and like three bad experiences in a row. Where it's not a Sabbath, it's like Sabbath-ish. You know, <laughs> Sabbath-ish. Yeah, but you know, it's a Sabbath, but I have to get those emails out, you know. Um, but let me give you, before we, go to, before we go to communion and the Lord's Supper and we co contemplate this, I wanna hear, give you another, just another lobby. This is why you have to unhurry your life. Um, practice heaven. You practice heaven. What you're doing is you're, you're really living it out. This is how it's going to be in heaven. Right? By full immersion. You know that the best way to learn a language is how? Immersion. The best way to learn, learn a culture is how? Immersion. The Sabbath is the practice of immersion in God's realities, God's kingdom. Because everything, none of, none of this interferes. None of life's sort of, you know, fallen, fallen post-Eden stuff interferes with your delight in God. The second is have fun. 
It's a fun thing. Isn't it amazing that the, from the, the Ten Commandments, the one that is actually fun is the one that we don't practice, don't embrace? Like, it's crazy, right? Experiencing delight. You're training your heart to experience delight. And there's studies that have been made that most of us can't even stand an hour of delight, let alone a day. So you're practicing delight. You're practicing extending delight, extending joy, right? Um, defeat the devil. This is when you break strongholds. The Sabbath is when you break strongholds. And the reason why I tell you this is because sometimes we don't deal with the deepest strongholds in our lives because we're rushing. And one of the downsides of stopping is that you're left alone with your thoughts and your fears and your wants, right? And we don't know what to do with ourselves when we're left alone in the quiet, you know? But this is where you break strongholds. You defeat the devil because you just lean into heaven. You lean into the kingdom. The other, the other reason is to live out of the overflow. You, you can turn around and start living not a reactionary life, reactionary life where you react to outside stimuli, outside situations, context, but you create. You're overflowing. You have so much filling you that you're, you're doing stuff because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just a very different way of being. You learn how to love deeper, have meaningful, unhurried conversations with the people that you love. Not rushed. You don't have to be somewhere. You just talk. And you be, you practice presence. And the last one, which is not actually um, at all a contradiction, is you do better work. You do better work because you're more creative, you're rooted in something, and you're working out of the overflow. And I can promise you this, your colleagues, your clients, your bosses, notice the difference when you are working out of the overflow, not, of, not out of lack, but out of generosity and creativity and clarity. You do better work. So before I let you go and I, I say a prayer, uh, let me give you a couple of books to, to read. I'll post this online as well. The one on the left is essentially um, sort of the gold standard of modern uh, Sabbathing. And it's, it was written by Abraham Joshua Heschel. It's a must read. It's a classic. Um, he's a rabbi. And he's, it's just... I've, I've reread this maybe five times, you know, just small pieces here and there. Um, it's, it's an amazing piece of work, uh, and you'll love it. And it's an easy, easy, it's a short read. The one on the right, it's if you're a little bit more intellectually, like historically curious about history, and I love history, um, uh, this is Judith, Judith Shelowitz. She's a, she's a Jewish writer, but she's like an American secular Jew who be, who's sort of rediscovered the Sabbath. And it's the Sabbath world. And what she does is she explores how the Sabbath evolved and, and changed throughout history in all kinds of different contexts. It's unbelievable, and it's actually beautifully written. 
So I highly recommend it if you like history. If you don't like history, don't do that, but do uh, Abram, uh, Abram Heschel is amazing. He's, he's a classic. So you can get started with that. I'll put up maybe one or two books every time I speak. So you don't, you don't have to read them. You can just practice the Sabbath. But this is something if you want to dive in. Mm -hmm.